Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 255. So you know how Colby and I have this uh, cruise coming up? Yes. It's going to be two of my sisters and their husbands, me and Colby, and my mom. One of my sisters, she works in education, so like she can't really miss school, and she ain't trying to get up on a boat. She has no desire to go oh, on a I was cruise. like, what does that have to do with being a teacher? <laughs> but okay. I like, she doesn't want to take time off. Yeah. No, I get that. Just on the boat part. Oh, like, but she didn't want to be on a boat, period. Like, yeah. she has no desire. She's like, open water. No, thank you. Saw the movie. So we're kind of getting down to the wire, and Colby needed some clothes. I mean, and I needed a couple little things, too. Well, really how it started was it was Sunday and we were just sitting there, you know, almost about to fall asleep, like before lunch, even like, man, we're just sitting here watching TV. Both of us almost fell asleep. And he's like, we got to get up out this house. He's like, you want to go dirt cheap? And I was like, yeah. And y'all didn't call me? Well, we go to dirt cheap. Which is our salvage place. Yeah. Well, they always have Target stuff, which is like Mm -hmm. the best. So, you know, Target has those fake Yetis that are the Zach cups. Mm-hmm. At Dirt Cheap, our salvage place, there were two. And I was like, ooh, they look good. Like, they're not scratched up. They're, you know, they they need, they were a little dirty, but nothing a wash wouldn't fix, you know? So I was like, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these because they were, like, the first one I found was $10 and it was 40% off. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to get these for six bucks. Hell yeah. And it's the kind of cup I love taking my water in to work. So we're shopping and I find another one. That mother humper was marked $41. What the fuck? I was like... Okay, just put them in the cart because, you know, you go to the cash register and they'll be like, you want to pay a dollar? You know, like sometimes it's hit or miss. So like we get a couple of other things. Oh, my God. I tried on some dresses. (laughs) Well, I just like put them over my clothes. And I put one on a couple of goes, you look Amish. I was like, well, (laughs) that's a no, I guess. (laughs) But anyway, I can't remember what else we got. Doesn't matter. We get up to the checkout and I tell the lady, I'm like, look, these are literally the same cup. One's Mark 10, one's Mark 41. Like, what do we do? You know? And I think she was kind of newer. So she asked this other lady and she was like, coming to look at them. I said, they're marked different prices. And she was like, well, it's probably the color because one was blue, one was purple. (laughs) I was like, 30 extra dollars for purple? I don't think so. Because they also will like literally Google the item to be like, okay, how much is it? And then they'll put that price in and do like their percentage. So I was like, it's on sale for $8.50 right now at Target. I was like, the regular $10. And she's like, well, let me go look at another one. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I got them all, but okay. She walked away. I was like, is she the manager? (laughs) Because you know, there's that one manager that like, she will be like, Again, do you want them both for 50 cents? You can have them. You yeah. know, like she's just like clear the shit off the shelves. Right. But she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you were about to be like, can I get the manager? I told Colby, I was like, if she comes back and she says anything else other than $10, we're literally leaving the cart and leaving <laughs> because $41 on a $10 cup. Yeah. And it's because it's purple. So wait, how did we get on this from your cruise? Because we uh, went shopping. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Because I was like, okay, we need to actually look for clothes there. Hence, trying on the dress for like dinners and stuff. Well, while her and Colby were out shopping, I was still on the couch and I've got some new recommendations. I watch it on Hulu, but I think it comes on Fox and it's called Accused. Wait, I think I saw, like I didn't watch it, but I think I saw the previews for this. Imagine that. I didn't watch it. I think you would like it because every case is different and it kind of starts at the courtroom. And so you're like, okay, this person is on trial and then it kind of goes through and you have to kind of determine like, are they guilty? Are they not guilty? And Mm -hmm. it's hard cases. It's like really good subject matter. 
And then another one, that's true crime, but for paranormal, it's called Lockwood and Co. And that's on Netflix. And it's like teens who do paranormal stuff, but it's actually really good. And it's British. Can we talk about how January was the longest fucking month ever? It was, but February is already flying by because this is a busy month for me. We've got the cruise that we go on on like the 20th. And then when this episode comes out, we will have just gotten back from New Orleans. We're going for one night because we're going for a Mardi Gras ball. And then basically every weekend I'm not out of town, I'm working. So this month is like go, 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 go for me. Well, for you, but everyone else. No, I'm just joking. But January was fucking hard. I don't know if it was the weather or what, but it just felt like, oh my God, are we still in January? Are we still like this? <gasps> like, I just felt so overwhelmed with nothing. Well, it's also right after the holidays. We both had a lot of loss this last year. You know, so first holidays after loss, and it's just like, and you go from literally something big every month. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, literally nothing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't celebrate half of those things. <laughs> but I don't know. It just, it was a hard month. One, one of those things you didn't do anything for. And you and Tiffany hung out that night. Yeah, but I mean, I'm not like, ooh, Thanksgiving. I don't like have to get anything prepared. So it's not like a big deal. I know, but I'm just saying that one, you do Halloween. I do Halloween, but like Christmas. You do Christmas. I, no, what did we do? We did it when? But you went to the casino with yeah, Tiffany. that's an everyday thing. But that's y'all's tradition. Oh, my God. But that's what I'm saying. You came over and <laughs> opened a present here that morning. Oh, yeah, because I had to do... Uh, <laughs> we forgot to record something we had to fix. You know, what else? <laughs> but I'm just saying, I don't have big things. So it's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, how people are like, oh, we're so stressed for the holidays because there's all these yeah, things. Yeah, no, but I'm saying like it is an occurrence. It's something that's happening. You're off work. You're this. You're that. You know, it's the holidays. Whether you're like, I'm going to have this big Christmas thing or not. It's still Christmas. It's still you decorated. You did all this. And now it's like, take it all down. Back to the humdrum. Okay. I'm right. Okay. She's wrong. <laughs> She's not right about me, but okay. Let me tell you all something else I'm doing that has been pure fucking torture. I decided that before the cruise, because I am a extra, extra large pizza right now, that I was going to get my legs and my underarms waxed before we go, in addition to my regular waxage, because I was like, I'm probably not going to be able to shave in that shower because it's probably going to be small. Y'all, this has been the most painful, not actually painful, but like, I just want to claw my legs off, let my hair grow out to be waxed. How long is your cruise? Five days. Do you normally shave every five days? If I'm going to be wearing shorts and a bathing suit, I <laughs> shave every day. Now, if I'm just here, I'm shaving like every six days. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to be out with the sun glistening in my hair, I'm going to shave every day on a cruise or a vacation or something like that. Or even just during the summer, if I'm wearing shorts, I would shave every day. We don't all have sparse hair like you, ma'am. <laughs> but I have a newfound respect for Colby when he was growing his beard out for me. And he was like, it itches. And I was like, it's okay. You just got to get through this part. And that's what I keep telling myself. It's okay. You just got to get through this part. How do people do that? I don't understand getting waxed that way, like for mm -hmm. your legs and stuff, because you have to let it grow so long well, to get it waxed. Yes, but it does eventually like thin out while it's you're working on it. Yeah, it sucks. I don't really get it either. That's why I don't wax my legs. And you know, it's expensive. But I do do my eyebrows and undercarriage every month. I haven't got my brows waxed in forever and I need to. Well, but again, I have thin hair, and yeah, so I, I can just pluck mine, and it's fine. Well, your glasses cover your eyebrows anyway. Oh, no, but you can you can definitely tell. No, you can Yes, you can. 
Why are we so argumentative this episode? Oh, my God. It's going to be a long one. You better agree with my person. Oh, my God. If it's one that we have... Oh, Lord. Maybe you shouldn't watch Accused because you would be completely opposite of everything I've said. Carrie's wearing a muumuu that says, be a nice human. Maybe she should read her own fucking clothing. I'm not being mean. You just keep disagreeing with me. One more thing about the cruise, and I swear I'll shut up until I come back and I'll tell you all the things. Well, actually, two things. One, I'm so excited because this is the first vacation in 100 years. And two, Colby's never been on one. And three, we didn't take a honeymoon. So this doesn't really count because other people will be there. So we're still going to have to do another trip that I can be like, it's our honeymoon. (laughs) But it's going to be so nice to get away from reality for a minute. So I'm very thankful for that. But cruises start out hella fucking cheap, but they're really not. Oh, I know. The food and the room, that's cheap. But if you need internet while you're there, which we do because Colby has to call his parents every day. (laughs) Endearing as fuck, but you're costing us a lot of money. Why? Because he talks to them every single day. I know he does, but... (laughs) He legitimately was like, if I can't call them, I'm not going. (laughs) Most expensive internet package it is. Oh my gosh. Because that's the one I have to get so that we can FaceTime. Because we can't just call because we have to get like an international... I don't know. Maybe I'm doing this all wrong. But to be able to FaceTime his dad because his mom has a flip phone, we have to get that package. And drink package. I think if it was just me and Colby going, we wouldn't get the drink package because we're not big drinkers. But because there's going to be all of us like hanging out and stuff, we got the drink package. So you're saying you're a sheeple? Yes. (laughs) I, I definitely caved to peer pressure when it comes to alcohol. Damn, that drink package was expensive. I know. I'm just too cheap. I'm like, no, I'll just drink the unsweetened tea because there's sugar. I don't know what it is. They're butter and they're sugar. So good on a cruise. The butter on a Carnival cruise is so good. But also, Carnival is Pepsi products now. Ew. And I'm a Coke product type of gal. <laughs> Plus Dr. Pepper. I was like, well, maybe they'll at least have Dr. Pepper. And I, I looked it up. And what I can find, it doesn't have Dr. Pepper. I'm like, <laughs> I love that you looked this I'm up. I'm going to die. <laughs> I was like, Colby, we got to take a can of, like a pack of Dr. Peppers. <laughs> a fucking migraine every day if i don't take dr pepper too much oh my gosh and we gotta uh carry on our cpaps and you either have to carry on your distilled water or buy it (laughs) i'm like who wants to schlep around a fucking gallon of distilled water up and down this thing how much is it to buy it from y'all probably 85 dollars based on the internet package (laughs) because that's like how much that internet package was Oh, my God. They better answer their phone every time we call. (laughs) (laughs) No naps for them. You said that's endearing as fuck, but damn. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things about it, but it's expensive. I couldn't do it. I'd be like, it's too expensive. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's worth it. This is why I'm not married. (laughs) Because I'd be like, no, that or the drink package. And since we're having to room together, and you have, if you get the drink package, I have to, vice versa. Well, it's neither. I mean, but at least I'll be able to send people lives on Candy Crush. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Basically, for the drink package to be worth it, you need to drink five drinks a day. You know, I'm going to be like, how many drinks did you have today, Colby? You know, <laughs> you better, you better have order one. one more. <laughs> if you don't get that sixth drink, I'm going to be so mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you just drinking beer? Drink whiskey. Right. <laughs> All right, y'all, before Carrie starts singing Come Sail Away with her, we got something else to talk about. She's right, because apostrophe is back. Speaking of back, if you got back knee, apostrophe has your back. 
because Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get a customized acne treatment plan for your unique skin. But it doesn't stop at acne. You can achieve whatever your skin goals are with Apostrophe. Because here's the thing, I am not a steps girl. If you are like, hey, here's a skincare routine and you have four steps, I'm not gonna do it. But if you give me something simple like, a pill that I could put in my little pill box or like one little thing to put on my skin when I get out of the shower, that I'll do. With Apostrophe, you're getting this customized treatment plan that meets your needs. So what you have to do, you go online and just fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history. Then you snap a few selfies and then a board certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne, which can include hormonal acne, facial acne, like Donna said before, batne, chestne, buttne, and a lot of other skin issues. Like I know that for both of us, when we started with Apostrophe, we were really worried about our rosacea. Donna wanted a little more help with fine lines. I just want a little more even skin tone. But I'm going to have to set up another appointment, which is fine because your skin changes. But now my skin is so dull and I feel like under my eyes are so dark. That's something that I know Apostrophe will help me with because they're going to connect me with the right dermatology team that's going to provide me with my customized treatment plan for my skin now. And anything tailored to me makes me feel so special and so luxurious. I'm here for it. Then you can tailor the bottles that you get to you because they send you stickers so you can put like AM, PM, a little sun, a little moon, a little star on it, whatever. So you're not having to go, what's this prescription for? Oh yeah. You just could just look at all your little smorgasbord of stickers you put on there <laughs> and you know Donna loves a sticker. I do. And they were so good. They're very good quality and they're all like spa-like stuff. Ugh, loved them. And also, this is the time now that it's going to start getting warmer. And so we're going to want to show our skin more. So you want to be comfortable in your skin. And Apostrophe can connect you with that dermatology team to reach your skin goals. So we've got a special deal. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash creep when you use our code creep. That's a savings of $15. $15. Yeah, I had to yell that. Again, go to apostrophe.com slash creep. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. You click get started and then you use our code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only five buckaroos. <laughs> well, taking a note out of last week's playbook, I went back to Discord and got a recommendation from some of the creepsters over there. So just, you know, little shameless plug, uh, if you want to be on Discord, then you got to be in the Patreon. So, you know, uh, patreon.com slash the APC podcast. You can join that. Then you can get on our Discord server where you can with us. So this week's recommendation came from Erica over in Discord. This story happens in Los Angeles, and there is a ton about this story. Lots of podcasts, Dateline, 48 Hours, all the things. One of my favorite articles was on Medium.com by Shinbega Lakshmi. Unsure if I'm saying that right, so my apologies if I say it incorrectly, but really great article. And then, of course, like LA Times and all that had some good stuff, too. And I really used that one and an article from Vanity Fair, which the two of them combined was like chef's kiss on all the good details. But like I can think of like four podcasts off the top of my head that did this story. So some of y'all I'm sure have heard it before. This is a story of Sherry Rasmussen, which I always thought was Rasmussen. 
Oh, I know this one. God damn it. I hate when you know them. <laughs> Do you really know it? Yes. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so the thing about Sherry is Sherry is smart as shit. She skipped two grades in school and was already in nursing school when she was 16. Good Lord. What's that guy's name? Howdy Doody? Wait, I like can't think of it now because you butchered it so bad. Doogie Hauser. Yeah, that. What'd you say? Howdy Doody? Howdy Doody. So when this story takes place, Sherry's 29 and she is already the director of nursing for like a critical care unit. She was truly the total package. Beautiful, smart, loving, all the things. In 1984, Sherry met John Rutten. He was two years younger than her and a computer engineer, and they hit it off pretty quickly. They're both smart. Very smart. In the Dateline episode, they talk about how Sherry's dad wanted her to be a physician, and she was like, no, 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 I want to be a nurse because I want the nursing schedule because she wanted to have a family, and she felt like she couldn't do that as a physician. So John and Sherry met, fell in love, moved in together pretty quickly, and within a year, were married. So on February 24th, 1986, Sherry, according to most things, didn't really want to go to work that day, and she had been having some issues with her back, so she used that as an excuse to be like, I don't want to deal with it today, I'm going to call in sick. John had actually woken up kind of early for work and, you know, did his normal routine and went to work. He called Sherry a couple of times and she never picked up and neither did the answering machine. And, you know, he thought that was weird because, you know, they always turned the answering machine on. And so he thought it was kind of weird that if she left, she wouldn't have turned it on. But, you know, why would she leave? Because she seemed to want to have kind of a chill day at home. Man, you know what? I miss an answering machine. I used to be so excited to get home and be like, ooh, who left a message? But now, like, your cell phone's always on you. So, you know, like, if you decline a call or whatever. So, like, voicemail's never like, oh, I have a message. Mm-hmm. I miss that. And then, like, when you thought that you were really cool and you would call your house to listen to your messages, knowing damn good and well you didn't have any. Oh, hell yeah. I still remember the code. You call our number, and when the answering machine pick up, you would dial 97. <laughs> Damn. I know. And specifically on the Dateline episode, I heard this where one of Sherry's sisters and her talked every day on her sister's break at like 10 a.m. And her sister called Sherry's work to talk to her. And Sherry's secretary was like, oh, she's not here today. She called in. And their sister called the house and she didn't answer. And she's like, well, that's weird. Also, was she taking a nap? You know, you never know. So nobody really thought anything of it because your first thought is not usually, oh my God, something bad has happened. It's, oh, well, they must be asleep or they must have gone out somewhere. You know, you know, unless you have trauma in your life. The first thing you think of is, oh, they're dead. But I was going to say, no, that's us. Yes. But luckily now you have all your cameras and stuff. So like Colby didn't answer. You could hunt him down if he was Yes, here. yes. And um, now I have Life 360, so would at least know, like, okay, start there. Is he at the house? Yes. Yeah. When John gets home from work, he notices that things aren't right. Sherry had just recently gotten a BMW for her birthday. First thing he sees, the garage door's open, and Sherry's car's not there. And he's like, well, I closed that when I left, but also her car's not here. She would have closed the garage when she left. But then he sees glass on the patio. As he walks into the house, he sees Sherry lying dead on the floor in the living room. So, of course, he calls for help. Police and paramedics get there, and this is what they see. They see that the house is completely ransacked. Like I said, there's shattered glass everywhere. Like, closet doors had been pulled down. Appliances were destroyed. The house was in complete disarray. You could tell that Sherry 
had made it downstairs and that part of the condo security system was that it had a panic button and you could see with like a bloody handprint that she was trying to reach the panic button oh my god that's heartbreaking you know those older um well hello 80s stereo systems that were like really tall speakers yes those were all knocked over beside sherry like how where she was laying a lot of the wires had been pulled out A big ceramic vase was shattered. Different shelves were pulled down, knocked over. This part was weird to me. But at the bottom of the stairs, there was a VCR and a CD player like stacked neatly on the stairs. Police were like, oh, it looked like they were stacking it to like carry it out. There was a smudge of blood on the CD player and then some smears of blood like on the walls and on the front door. So upstairs, there were two sliding glass doors leading out into a balcony and one of those had been shattered. And so that's the glass that John saw like on the ground when he pulled up. But the thing is, is that there was no signs of forced entry. So the police were like, okay, Sherry was upstairs doing whatever and someone broke in to rob them. And she startled them, they panicked, and they killed her. They also found a blanket that had a bullet hole in it. And so they were able to figure out that she had been shot once at like very close range. And then they used the blanket to muffle the other two gunshots that were found in Sherry. In the autopsy, they did find two bullets still in Sherry. And they think one just was a complete through and through. And it was from a thirty-eight caliber gun. But you could tell that Sherry put up a fight. She had a wound on her eye where they think that maybe she had been hit with a vase. And there was a bite mark on her inner left forearm. And so they thought that maybe she had maybe like wrestled the gun away and they like bit her to get it back or or whatever. They swabbed that area for saliva and then they did like a cast impression to be able to compare possibly with a suspect. So really quickly, the police narrowed in on robbery. I don't know where they got this from, but it was like, it was two Hispanic males who did this. And like I said, they just narrowed in on this robbery situation really quickly. And not long after Sherry was murdered, there was another incident in the area where two Hispanic males were involved in a robbery. And so they're like, oh, see, it's got to be them. But you know, at the very, very, very beginning, the first person you always look at is the spouse. John was kind of weird at the beginning, but obviously, you know, that we're talking about the robbery thing. Spoiler alert, it wasn't him, but he was weird because he wouldn't even call Sherry's parents and tell them that she was murdered. His dad had to make the call for him. And then when Sherry's dad was like, let me speak to John, he was like, no, he's not ready to talk. Like he can't talk. Yeah, that is weird. The police, I think at first felt like, and even Sherry's family felt like he was like over the top sad. Like you can listen to um, an interrogation with him. The police ask him a question and he sounds okay. And then he like keeps talking and then he starts like wailing. And the police are like, okay, I need you to calm down for a minute. You got to answer these questions. And then he's like able to control himself. I don't know. It just seemed like so over the top. But that's kind of how I am. True. You're right. Because even that first time that you and I were ever, ever in a wreck together in college and like, I'm like freaking out on the phone, calling the police and they're like, you need to calm down. And it's like, oh, okay. But on the flip side, sometimes you can tell when it's like, no, there's like actually freaking out from some traumatic event. And then they're like putting on something. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And with him, it was hard to tell. Like, is it real or not? 
And then a good while, like less than a month, but like a couple of weeks after Sherry's death, he finally did a lie detector test. They deemed it inconclusive because they couldn't tell he was too emotional during it. If you put yourself in that situation, like you, if Colby was murdered. Oh, yeah. You would be an absolute. Oh, wow. We never even finished a word. Yes. Complete basket case. Yeah. But then also, though, sometimes when trauma is really bad, you can like cut it off and be like, okay, I have to do this. I've got to plan this funeral. I've got to, I mean, I've, you know, you you just, you got to put that to the side and you'll deal with that next week, you know? Yeah, but I feel for him because I'm that way. Like you would think I was lying how I will cry sometimes because I hold it in, hold it in. And then it's like, I laugh, cry. Yes. And it's just like ridiculous. And then I can be like, okay, like yes, my emotions are weird. Yeah, when you cry really hard, it's a lot. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't I can't I, even, it really, sometimes is a whale. It is, it is. And I hold it in so much, and then it's just like, burst out of my body. Donna does everything intensely. I do, especially sex. Okay. Okay, so I don't know if this is legit, but I was watching something, and they said that they monitor your sphincter muscle or whatever when you are doing a lie detector test. Is that the right word to say? Like your butthole. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, well, so they were like, don't worry. It's like, it's not on yet or something. And the person sat down and I was like, my butt acts different. We've already discussed this. (laughs) It really, it, it, it do be different. It do be different. And so I'm like, They would be so, like, this girl murdered everyone. This girl did everything wrong. And I'm like, no, it's just when I laugh, my butthole opens. It's not a normal thing, but it happens. When I'm nervous, it does this. You know, like, I don't know. I'm just like, my body's different. Mm -hmm. Sherry's car was actually found a week later. It was unlocked, and the keys were in the ignition. They did find um, a few fingerprints in it, a little bit of blood, and a strand of brown hair. But oddly enough, the only thing that was actually stolen from the house other than Sherry's car was John and Sherry's marriage license. What? Right. The only thing that actually pointed to a robbery was that the house was messy and they just assumed that the CD player and the whatever else it was that was stacked there was like ready for them to take out and then they just happened to be caught and then Sherry was killed. That was kind of the theory, but it's like... But why would they take the marriage license? Like, that's what they actually left with after she's dead when they could have had all the time in the world to actually take stuff because she's already dead. That's what they took. That makes no fucking sense. So Sherry's parents were like, absolutely not. This robbery theory makes no sense. They didn't even think that she would be able to fight off a robber like that. They were like, I, this, I, don't, I don't believe this theory at all. And they were repeatedly telling police about one of John's exes that they were like, Sherry would call the dad and tell him all of these issues that she was having with this person. And the police completely ignored it. Eventually, Sherry's parents ended up putting like a $10,000 reward up for it. And this case just went cold. But they were telling police about, like I said, John's ex, Stephanie Lazarus. So at the time, she was 26 years old. And she was actually an officer with the LAPD. Stephanie and John had met in college and kind of had an on-again, off-and-again thing. It wasn't very serious. They both saw other people. They basically just had fun together, but it was never even that serious. Like, they didn't even have sex until after college. Like, it was never that serious. And even when they were, like, actually hooking up, they were both still seeing other people. According to Sherry's family, Stephanie was pretty obsessed with John. 
And basically, when Stephanie found out John and Sherry were engaged, it was too much. Stephanie, who had already kind of been a problem in the relationship with Sherry and John, which we'll go into in a little bit, there was a point where she was like begging him, like, please come over, like, let's talk about this, yada, yada, yada. So John came over and of course they had sex one last time for him to be like, this is it, like, this is over, I'm engaged, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, fuck you, John, fuck you for that you know? Yes, I fucking hate that. So this person who's been an issue in your relationship because she like would just like appear. John moved into Sherry's condo and like Stephanie would just like show up and be like, John, can you help me wax my surfboard? And he would do it. Sherry's like, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? Like, tell her to stop coming around. Like, put your foot down. Like, yeah, we are in a relationship and then we're engaged. Like, you have to stop this. Like, it was a real problem. And even then, you know, Sherry was like, well, I mean, is he really seeing her? Because she does keep coming over. And, you know, like, one day she came over after John left for work. Sherry was like, well, is this what he's doing? Like, he's leaving for work and then I leave for work and then they come back here. You know, they meet like, you know, she really started getting her in her head and she voiced all this to her dad. She was very close with her dad, told him everything. One time when Stephanie came over, she, of course, told Sherry, like, well, we did have sex that one last time together after y'all were engaged because, you know, blah, 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 you know, and just to, like, get in her head and, and all of that. And so Sherry's really, like, confronts John. is like, what's going on? Like, are you having a relationship with her? And he's like, I'm so sorry. It was a one-time thing. Like, it won't happen again. And, like, all was fine. Allegedly, when Stephanie came over that time, she basically told Sherry, like, if I can't have John, nobody can. And Sherry was, I think, scared. (laughs) Scared of her, but not scared of her. Like, she was standing up to her and like, this isn't okay. And John, you need to say this isn't okay. Like, this is, we are not a thruple, you know, like, get her out of our lives. But also, she was a little nervous because Stephanie's LAPD, you know? Yeah. And sorry, I messed it up. Stephanie came to Sherry's work and told her, like, if I can't have John, nobody can. Wow. It was at the house that she was like, oh, by the by, you know. Yeah. One thing I don't like when someone is in a toxic relationship, like John and Stephanie were in, because apparently that had to be some toxic Oh, you know stuff. it was. He's encouraging her to keep going. When you say, oh, yeah, let me do that real quick. Yes. That's her going, okay, cool. So I can have this one last contact with him. So I'm going to have another issue because he's going to do it. Like, you're encouraging that. Absolutely. And it almost was like a little Jody Arias for me. Like, he just seemed to, like, keep her on the side. But she was in it way more than he was. And he just kind of strung her along. Again, I'm sorry. You don't have that. Oh, let's just, we're just going to have sex one last time. Like you're in fucking gauged. You don't have sex with anybody but your fiance. Right. Yeah. You're in a relationship. You're living together. You're in a monogamous relationship. It doesn't matter what stage you're at in monogamy. You don't have an affair like that. And then especially like you said, with somebody who's like, okay, got him that one last time he says it's one last time but he did last time so we're gonna see if we can get him another one Mm -hmm. last time you're just adding fuel to the fire by sleeping with her one more time so remember how i said um she like brought the surfboard over to be waxed well it was skis but you get the point oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh 
man. But really, though, like, she would do that. She would bring different things over, like, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And again, Sherry's like, stop fucking doing it. But no matter what Sherry's family told the police, they were sticking with the robbery story. So at this point, years have gone by. Sherry's parents are constantly calling police, asking if there's any updates, offering money, offering help, offering everything to try to get this case solved. I found this. This is the only place I found it. I'm pretty sure it was in the Vanity Fair article. It said in 1989, John and Stephanie went on a scuba trip together to Hawaii. What? And apparently, like before they went, he called one of the investigators to be like, so there's no evidence that she killed Sherry, right? Like, she's she's not the murderer. And they were like, no, she's not. And he was like, you're, like, you're, you're sure? Like, And they were like, no, we, have, we don't think it's her at all. Like, you're fine. And so they like, go to Hawaii and have a grand old fucking time. Wow. And like, nothing comes of it. Because again, it was just like this little fling. Yeah. And, and John ends up marrying someone else and, you know, has a family. And then Stephanie ends up marrying another police officer. She became a detective and really just worked her way through the ranks. She worked in multiple different departments. She worked in internal affairs. She worked in art theft. She was very well respected within the department. And as the years went on, DNA became a thing. And Sherry's family was like, there, like, there's some DNA. Y'all got to have some DNA. Like, can we do a test? And they were like, sorry, we don't have the budget or any suspects or anything like that. Because the two people that they thought had done it was like ruled out that it wasn't them. And her parents were like, well, we'll pay for the DNA testing if you'll just do it. And they're like, nope, sorry. You also have to remember that at the time of Sherry's murder, I think it was on Case Files that I was listening to about it, and they said that that year, there were over almost 850 murders in LA, and that it was almost a record that year. Good God. And so the police were like so overworked. We were starting to hit the peak with like drugs and gangs. And I mean, it was just a really hard time for LA. And so the police were having trouble keeping up with everything. I think she was like the 140th murder victim of the year. And she was murdered in February. It's like they were drowning. They couldn't keep up with the work. Not that that's an excuse for doing shitty work, but it was hard. It was a hard time for the police department. So finally, the LAPD had gotten this huge grant to basically start a a cold case unit. And in 2014, a lab technician at the LAPD was working on some of the cases because they were like, okay, let's start with stuff that we may be able to run something in like the CODIS database or something like that. Like, let's start with robberies and something else, like murders that involve robbery and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, well, I guess it's a good thing that they thought that hers was a robbery because that's why it was in the pile of ones to try. Yeah. So this technician goes to look at the evidence and they were going to get the swab from the bite mark. And they're like, holy shit, this evidence is not in the bag. So while I'm learning this story, I'm like, Stephanie done stole evidence. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. The lab tech's name was Jennifer Francis. So old Jennifer was like, okay, let's go back to the very beginning. Did it get misplaced? What happened? So she knows that when the evidence is taken from a victim, it goes to the coroner's freezer and then like while it's still active and then then from there it would get, you know, its file number, then it would be taken elsewhere. So basically she goes back to the freezer and she's digging and she finds the swab in a manila envelope 
in the freezer. Like basically it had slipped out of the evidence bag and fallen into the freezer. It had a lot of moisture on it. And so it was really hard to read, but you could see Sherry's last name on it. Like the case number had rubbed off basically from being wet in the freezer, but you could see Sherry's last name. Thank goodness for not a common last name. Basically, that had been in that freezer for 18 years. Wow. But inside that envelope was the tube with like a little screw tab on it, and the two swabs were in there. So she runs the lab test on it, gets it back in January of 2005. God. I mean, she was murdered in 86. Yeah. So she ran the DNA through CODIS, and there was nothing. So it's like, fuck. You know, you always hope when you're hearing these cases, like, oh, it's got to come back in CODIS. Yeah. There were no hits, but they did figure out that the bite mark on Sherry's arm was from a woman. And that was huge because, you know, they had thought this burglary was by a man, yada, yada. And now you have proof that the bite mark actually came from a woman. How could they tell it was from a woman? But based on the DNA. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking about the mold. Oh, no, no, no. It was based on the DNA. And I was like. So there's this thing called a double. (laughs) 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 So Jennifer takes this information to the lead detective from 18 years ago at this point, or what is it, 19, whatever it is at this point. And she's like, wasn't the dad talking about somebody? And the detective was like, well, don't worry about it. And basically the case is cold again. Wow. So in February of 2009, the cold case detectives are going through files and, you know, deciding which cases to take and all. And Sherry's case gets opened up again. Also, lots of Februarys in here, and we're doing this in February, so so bizarre. As they're looking through there, they know, okay, the DNA came back. We know it's a woman. And throughout the investigation, there were five women's names who came up with the detectives back in 1986. Very, very quickly, they were able to eliminate the first four women. And to be honest, I'm not really sure. I think they may have gotten some DNA from a couple and they they just, I don't know, police stuff. So that left Stephanie Lazarus. And like, this is awkward as fuck because Stephanie, who has now been on the force for like over 20 years and works across the hall and Stephanie's husband works in the same basically room as them. This is awkward as fuck. Like we're investigating one of our own. Like what if she didn't do this? But then also what if she did do this? And you know, it, it gets pretty serious and they didn't want, I mean, the blue wall to come up. And so they didn't Mm -hmm. want anyone to know they were investigating Stephanie. So they literally never called her by name. They called her number five so that nobody knew who they were investigating. So the detectives were like, okay, we got to get some DNA from Stephanie, but we don't want to tip her off that we're looking into her and something go missing or her go missing or whatever, you know? So they were like, okay, we got to stealthily get some DNA from her. So detectives followed her, you know, undercover type shit. She didn't know she was being followed, obviously. I think they followed her for a week or two before they finally got the chance to get some DNA from her. They watched her at the mall or somewhere drink some soda and watched her throw the can away, kept an eye on the thing, you know, the trash can the whole time she was walking away, ran and grabbed the can. And then like the detectives like split so that she wouldn't see him and know that it was them. It wasn't long before the DNA came back and it was a match to Stephanie. They were like, we got her. Yeah. All these years and Stephanie is the one that did it. You know, Sherry's dad was pissed. Right? Like, I mean, I would have been fucking pissed. I mean, we're talking decades later. 
Also, you know, if I was Sherry's dad, I would have been like, told you so. The told you so, told you so, told you so. 100%. If you're a Will and Grace fan, that's what that's from. Or if you're not, that's what, anyway. But you know I would. Yeah, you were an I told you so type of gal. 100%. So they were like, all right, well, now we got to interview her. And this is going to be hard as fuck because she knows all the things we know. You know, she's been on the job for 25 years at this point. Yeah. Which makes sense why she staged it as a robbery and they fucking fell for it. Exactly. And there were no fingerprints. And it's 1986. She didn't know shit about DNA. Right. So who knew that this fucking arm bite would be what did her in because that didn't exist back then. Right. So what the police did is they basically set up a fake interview. They told her like, hey, we've got this guy. Can you come help us interview him over here so that she's not where anybody can see her? You know, her husband's not going to freaking walk by and see her being interviewed, you know. So they take her to this other area and she gets there and... Well, that guy's not there. And you can find the whole interview online. You can find, like, you can hear recordings of a good bit of it on the episode of Case Files. But man, even I could pick up on some of the shit she was doing in the interview. So when they get there, she's like, so you're going to bring somebody in, right? And like, he completely ignores her and says, like, we've been assigned a case and there's some notes that have your name in it. And she's like, oh, okay. And then they ask, do you know John Rutten? And she's like, says basically she doesn't know him. And basically they're like, you don't? And she's like, oh, you mean John Rutten? And they're like, yes. Bitch, you killed his wife. Like, you know who they're talking about. Like, what other case would your name be in? Yeah. Like, you went to Hawaii with, like. Yeah. You, okay. You know who they're fucking talking about. Yes, unless she's you and you cannot decipher a typo sometimes. Yeah, but bitch, you know. She's giving herself time being yeah. like, no. Uh-huh. Oh, you mean John Rutten? You know what I mean? And also, it's like a power move. Like, you were wrong. Exactly. Exactly. And she's like, oh, yeah, I went to school with him. We went to UCLA. He was this and all this stuff about him. You know, then they do like, oh, y'all are close. And they're like, yeah, we were close friends. And like, she knows all this stuff about him. And she does really try, though, to downplay their relationship. Like, she really tries to um, make a point that they were both seeing other people to like make it not seem so serious like that she would have a reason to kill his wife because they weren't in a serious relationship it's like well why couldn't you told past stephanie that but okay i know you just want to be like stephanie you didn't even marry him after this you know what i mean like because he was never going to marry no he was never going to choose you i get that (laughs) i feel that we've been those girls before yes When it comes time to them asking her about his wife, she's like, yeah, I don't remember her name. Bitch, you know you know her name. Oh, my gosh. And, like, she goes on forever about, like, yeah, maybe I met her. I don't know. It was, like, a million years ago. You know, like, she keeps trying to distance herself time-wise and distance herself closeness as far as the relationship. But, yeah, at the beginning, she's like, yeah, we went to college together, and we lived in the same dorm, and we blah, 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 blah. And they're like, do you know where he lived? And she's like, yeah, he lived on the corner of Happy and Healthy. And, you know, like... (laughs) She, like, tells all these things, and it's like, so after he got married, where do you live? Oh, I don't know. But she went over there. Yeah. But they're like, did you go over there? And she's like, I don't know. And then she's like, they're like, well, have, did you meet his wife? And she's like, um, I may have. Like, being all coy about mm-hmm. the wife, but, like, everything else. She knows fucking his blood type and his social security number. And they're like, well, do you know what she did for a living or where she worked or anything? And she's like, yeah, I think she was a nurse. Okay, you can remember that, Mm -hmm. but you don't remember, like, 
girl, you ain't fooling anybody. She even did the whole thing when they said, do you know her name? And like for the fourth time. And she's like, Shelly, Sherry. Again, you know, you know her name. Like even if you didn't kill her, you still liked this guy, had been over to his house once they got together. But you're a police officer and she was murdered. You would remember that story. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, one of my friends I went to college with while I was still friends with them's wife got murdered. You'd remember that. Yeah. That's not, that's a memory that sticks out. Now, if you were like, yeah, I went to college with him. That was, you know, 25 years ago, but yeah, he got married. You know, it was just like a friend, you know? Right. But then also after his wife died, you went to Hawaii with him and stuff. Right. Now, I will say I only saw that in one thing, but I kind of trust the Vanity Fair article. It was a very good article. Yeah. Well, and it just sounds like it would be right, like, because she was a side piece, you yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. So, like, oh, yeah, like, let's do this. Like, oh, God, I could just see it. Ugh. So they play this whole cat and mouse game where she, again, uh, what's, what's that saying I always say? Like, she thinks that she's playing chess, but she's actually playing checkers. Like, she thinks she's doing so good, but she's not. Because meanwhile, they're sitting on the fact that they have her DNA proving that she was there and bit her. And like, she's pretending like, yeah, I may have met her. Yeah, I never went over to their house. Well, like, bitch, we got proof you were there. I can't believe Stephanie didn't have like a mental breakdown when DNA was introduced. I I think that she was so far removed from it at that point. It had been so long. She probably thought she'd gotten away with it at that point. I mean, like, well, and she might not have remembered biting her. Like it might've just been heat of the moment thing and yeah you know she's not like oh my god my saliva's on her yeah Yeah. so the thing that's one of the most important pieces of information for me aside from the dna was that at the time the lapd's like off-duty gun was a 38 and stephanie's 38 was reported missing a month or two after sherry's murder and she said that her car had been broken into and that that and like a couple other things were stolen. But here's the thing. She didn't report it to the precinct that was investigating Sherry's death where she worked. She reported it somewhere else. Oh. So it's like, let's fly this under the radar. Mm-hmm. But my like off-duty gun is the exact same. And I think later they ended up showing that, that those bullets were like basically LAPD issue. Wow. And you know what I mean? And she's reporting this gut, blah, blah, blah. And then she was actually off work the three days around Sherry's murder, like day before, day of, day after, you know what I mean? Like three days right around. So she had no work alibi and there was a lot of little things like that that really pointed to it. So I know nothing about guns, but is a 38 odd? No, it's not. Well, because you know how sometimes it's like, oh, that was a this caliber. And so it's super odd because it's only issued to I think this. that, yeah, but I don't know. The 38's not that. Also, did Sherry's dad know Stephanie's name? No, he didn't. Okay. Because I was going to say, like, if he knew her name and then had repeatedly said that and they looked it up and it's like, oh, she's a cop. She could. You no, know, he knew she was a police officer. Oh. Yeah, he knew that she was a police officer and that that was part of why Sherry was so worried. Yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like they definitely just did not want to look at that. Yeah, I agree. The interview basically lasts like an hour. She's like, I mean, are y'all accusing me? Like, I feel like I need a lawyer and like, you're free to go at any time, yada, yada, yada. 
And so she's finally like, yeah, I think I'm going to. And she like gets up to leave. They like let her walk out and then they, they arrest her for Sherry's murder and they bring her back in and they're like, Mirandize her, all that. And she's like, I want a lawyer. The police are so dramatic. Like, let her exit, let her do this. I wonder if that's some sort of rule. Because I Probably. feel like I see that on like cop shows and stuff too. Like they let them like get up to leave because they are free to leave at any time. Yeah. And then they arrest them, you know? So yeah. I feel like y'all let us know. Is that a rule? Yeah, it's called, I need to be dramatic about it. But you do know that that is a last little like gut punch to them because they're like walking away thinking they got away with it. And then you're arrested. I think the clever thing too about where, because they took her to like the LAPD headquarters to interview her. And so like where she was going in this building for this fake interview she thought she was going to help with, she had to leave her guns out of the building like Mm. before she could go in. So they were sitting in that interview with her unarmed during the interview she's like so basically y'all brought me here for this like you had this was a a ruse they were able to be like yes but because basically we respect you and so we didn't want to interview you back there so that people wouldn't walk past and see you in the rumor mill start you know Mm -hmm. they were like we really we you know we just wanted to be cop to cop we wanted you to be able to talk to us clear this up without you know starting the rumor mill kind of thing so they were really able to kind of play on that to kind of put her at bay a little bit yeah and then their safety too with her not having her weapon right they did ask her for a dna sample like well would you give us one if we asked and she was like maybe And I just wanted to be like, where's the fire? Like, if I was sitting there and you're asking me this and I'm like, I don't remember. I feel like you're accusing me. I did not do this. Like, yes, take my fucking DNA. I didn't fucking do this. Yes. Like, where she doesn't have that passion because she did it. Uh Because anybody else would be livid that you're sitting there accusing them. Yeah. Or they'd be like breaking down. So it ends up going to trial because she pled not guilty. There was a lot at the beginning of like the defense didn't want the DNA sample because they were like, oh, it blocked chain of custody. But it's like, no, it's literally just been sitting in that thing. And the judge was like, no, totally allowed it. Her trial began in 2012, February of 2012. So another February. Another February. But like she was murdered in 1986. Wow. It only took the jury a day of deliberation and they found her guilty and she was sentenced to 27 years in prison to life, 27 to life, and an additional two years for an illegal use of a firearm. But see, when she was arrested, it was like a million dollar bond. So she was in jail from the time she was arrested through the trial. So she got a thousand days of good behavior credit for her time in prison waiting for trial. And so basically because of that, it like took away those two years in prison, which I'm like a thousand days is very different than 360 times two, but whatever numbers. So the LAPD was like, yeah, we're definitely going to look into like why this wasn't looked at more, like why blah, 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 blah. So wait, what did she get? First degree murder, 27 years to life. So she can be paroled. That's what that yes. means. Sorry. Okay. After 27 years, she's yeah. eligible. Yes. Okay. I'm so dumb. No, you're not. And, you know, one of the things that the family said on the Dateline interview was like, I don't know. I just It seemed like they felt like John put on a show with his emotions and like it became about him. Like, I can't talk right now because I'm so upset, you know, like wouldn't talk to her parents, wouldn't face her parents, all of that. I'm sure some of that was guilt if he really did feel like Stephanie did it, but then 
he goes to Hawaii with her. But I felt like that when I listened to the case file episode where it played his victim impact statement. He just felt like it was like, it was like all these I statements. Like, I don't know. It felt very about him. I'm like, where is Sherry in any of your wow. statements? And I'm like, it just, to me, it just said a lot about him. Well, it said a lot about him when he had sex while he was engaged. Yes. Also, I just feel like justice was not served. Like, yes, she's now held accountable for that, but minimum 20-whatever years, she's had that free. Mm -hmm. She's been living her life. She had the opportunity to get married, have kids. Yeah, they adopted kids, yeah. That makes me so mad. Like, So then you're going to say that in 20 years, she could still have her life. And she's literally got the life that that's all Sherry wanted, was to be a mom and to be a nurse, you know. Sherry's family tried to sue the LAPD for negligence, but it was past the statute of limitations. That is a bunch of shit. How could they sue for negligence when there wasn't an end to the crime? Right. Or, or an end to the case, like a, someone wasn't punished. Like, how could they prove that when there was never an end? But, like, it, it went up to higher courts, and the higher courts were like, yeah, it's passed. There's nothing we can do. I felt like if it was a murder, there was no statute of limitations. But there was on the lawsuit for I mean, the I negligence. Get it, but... But it's like, well, they had to wait till it was honestly proven that, yeah, what we had said from the beginning was true. Mm -hmm. And she could have been captured a long fucking time ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how much money did she end up costing the LAPD? I just feel like, does that cast every case she's ever worked into a different light where it's like, I mean, anybody could be like, well, but the cop that did this was, you know. Well, you know, that happens like with judges and stuff. And with um, forensic people because that one lady that was on I've done a story where she was god what was she but she was like falsifying results and stuff and like 15 people got off of life sentences basically because she remember that yeah yeah. I'm definitely making up the details but and then also the fact that Stephanie worked in internal affairs right I'm like what a smug cunt yes sorry I know some people hate that word but I don't and that's what she is (laughs) Again, I just feel like justice wasn't served. If you're going to give her, like, I don't understand how it's only 20-something years after she's, like, lived a life as she's worked in law enforcement. I feel like her not getting life or something that would put her so she's freaking old folks home only when she gets out. Like, she killed someone and then lived a life, Mm -hmm. worked right beside y'all, and y'all had no fucking clue. Like, you're letting this person out that fooled everyone. Besides Sherry and besides Sherry's dad. Yeah, because she was like 55 when she got convicted. So, I mean, she could be 82 by the time, I mean, around there, by the time she's even eligible for parole. Well, before you tell us all about your story, we got to talk about Babbel. Whether you love adventure and traveling or you're starting a new job or you just want a new skill, Babbel is the perfect way to start this new year. Babbel is a language learning app and it sold over 10 million subscriptions. 10 million. <laughs> the thing I love most about Babbel is that it has those fun, easy, bite-sized language lessons. You know I love bite-sized anything. And the best part is that these bite-sized lessons, they're only about 10 minutes. So if you're like me and your ADHD is kicking, you won't be highly distracted because they're just 10-minute lessons. And after about three weeks of those 10-minute lessons, you can start having real-life conversations in a new language. 
That's wild to me because, you know, I took Spanish in high school and I can only say maybe four words. Well, the difference is other apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel's lessons were created by over 150 language experts, and it's all voiced by real native speakers versus a computer. So that really helps you through a teaching method that has been scientifically proven effective to learn a language and to speak it with the proper accent and all of that that is so hard when you're learning a new language. Well, that's super true, though, because when we're going to search for a pronunciation of a last name for a case or story, and it is like a robotic person, we're still clueless. And I'm real confused. But with Babbel, you don't have to do any of that kind of confusing stuff. Right. They make it simple, easy, and fun to learn. They have lessons in podcasts, games, videos, stories. You can even do live classes if that's for you. And best of all, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, you can get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash creep. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash creep for up to 55% off your subscription. That's babbel.com slash creep for up to 55% off your subscription. So go. Well, we're going to Monticello, Arkansas for this story about the Allen House. Picture it. It's 2005 and Mark Spencer was just offered the new dean of the School of Arts position at a local university in Monticello. We got a Monticello in Mississippi. We do. My grandma used to live there. She called it Monticello. (laughs) This was an opportunity that Mark had dreamt about and he told his wife Rebecca and she was like, oh my God. Well, when you were talking about applying to different places, I said anywhere but Alaska and Arkansas. What about those two places did you not understand? However, when they went to visit before the move, they both fell in love with the town. And even more than that, Rebecca fell in love with the house. She told Mark that if she had to move to Arkansas, it's required that they buy that house. The house was a Queen Anne and Gothic-style mansion, which we now know as the Allen House. And Mark was like, you know what? This job is the job of my dreams, so Rebecca should have the house of hers. And in the early summer of 2005, they moved with their three kids from Oklahoma to Arkansas. So something about the house. It wasn't on the market. Rebecca literally saw it, wanted it, and was willing to do whatever to get that house. That reminds me of Father of the Bride when those people keep trying to buy the house. And he's like, it's not for sale, it's not for sale, it's not for sale. And then he finally sells it and then like regrets it and Annie's all pissed off at him. I've only seen that movie like once. I think that was the second one. Oh, probably never even saw that. But it wasn't that easy, to be honest. They asked a real estate agent about it, and she was like, yeah, you don't want that house. It has a history. Well, Rebecca didn't care about the history. She loved the beauty of it. The house called to her the same way Monticello had called to Mark. So Mark and Rebecca went by the house to see if they could speak to the owner. And in true fashion, just like I would do, be like, let's go over there, talk to the owner. Okay, Mark, you get out and talk to the owner. I'm going (laughs) to stay in the car. And that's what Rebecca did. See, Colby's the opposite. Colby says, okay, you do the talking because I think you blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then we get there and I start talking. He goes, and then did it. And I'm like, (laughs) you said for me to do the talking. (laughs) So Mark went up to the door and he thought he heard a male's voice. So he's like listening through because he couldn't really see anything. And it was actually the radio. But it was like hellfire and brimstone kind of evangelist stuff. 
So Mark kind of like shuddered and was like, maybe please don't be home then. Like if you're listening to this at like two in the afternoon, maybe you're not my kind of people. But no one was home, so they left. But soon word spread that they wanted to buy it. And everyone who talked to them about it reassured them they did not want to buy it because it was haunted. But of course, they didn't believe in that foolishness. You know, they were skeptics through and through. And also they thought like everyone had made the story bigger than the mansion itself. Well, soon word got round to the owner of the house, who Mark refers to as Marilyn in his book about the house called A Haunted Love Story, The Ghost of the Allen House. He said Marilyn called him at his work and was like, hey, I heard you wanted to buy my house. And so they talked. And after she learned about their family and stuff, she was like, you know what? Come look around all the things. Well, soon after that, they met with Marilyn and toured the house. Rebecca fell more in love with it, and Mark kind of did too. He was seeing it in all its beauty, and so now their eyes were on the prize. Like, they wanted this house. And to their surprise, and everyone else's surprise, Marilyn agreed to sell it to him. Because everyone's like, people have wanted that house, and she's never sold it. She's not selling it to y'all. And then she did. But it wasn't an easy process. Because Marilyn kept canceling and stalling when the closing date was coming to and just all the things like she was being, you know, the person you don't want to deal with with the real estate issue. But after two years, they were the new owners of the Allen house. Two years. Two years. God. Right. I don't want anything that bad. No. (laughs) I'd be like, you know what? Another house, another, like, whatever. Because also, they did buy another house while they were, like, trying to get this going. And they fixed it up and all the things there. So they weren't just, like, living in a hotel or renting. Like, they bought a house waiting for their dream house. Anyway, they move in and their daughter, Bronte, who Marilyn said like she would feel like a princess living in this mansion, felt anything but a princess. She said she entered the home and was just struck with heaviness. And things pretty much started right when they moved in, but they weren't sure if it was their minds playing tricks on them or what. Rebecca thought she saw a woman sitting in the window when they were unpacking, but when she did a double take, the woman wasn't there anymore. So again, she just was like, I'm seeing things, you know, people have got this in my head that it's haunted, like it was probably just a glare. About a month in, they decided they would have a yard sale, and one of Rebecca's friends, Destiny, who went by Desi, had some stuff that she wanted to sell as well. So Desi stopped by the house to bring her stuff, and when she was approaching the house, she looked up and she saw Rebecca in the bedroom window. So she waved to be like, hey, I'm here. But when she made it to the door, it opened and there was Rebecca. And Desi looked back up and no one was in the window, but there was no way Rebecca would have made it downstairs and to the door that quickly. It was like mere seconds. But they just shook it off and Desi kept bringing in some of her stuff. Well, Desi was like, "Woo, I could actually use your help if you're not pricing stuff of your own right now. Because Rebecca was just like standing in the study looking at something. Well, Desi went back outside to get another box, but she just assumed that her friend Rebecca would come follow her out to help her. But she didn't. So Desi returned inside with another box and she's like, no, for real, for real, I need your help. But Rebecca didn't respond to her again. So Desi was kind of annoyed and just was like, fine, whatever, you know, went out, got another box. Well, when she was back inside, Rebecca was standing there with her back to her in the study. And Desi was like, yeah, thanks a lot for the help. Got it. But no response. 
Then Rebecca came from the back of the house and was like, hey, do you need any help? And Desi looked back at the study and the woman she thought was Rebecca was gone. But Desi was pissed. She's like, you've been standing there and not helping me. I've asked you to help and now you have the audacity to be like, oh, do you need help? God, if that doesn't sound like an argument that we would have, I don't know what does. (laughs) And Rebecca was like, uh, I've been in the back pricing things. I don't know who you're talking about because I'm the only one in the house other than you. One time, Mark was in the kitchen and there was broken glass on the counter. He looked right above it and in the cabinet, there was a missing glass which was the one that was broken. So he assumed the kids had broken it and he went and asked them and they denied it and they denied even knowing anything about it. So he was like, okay, that's weird, but whatever. But then that repeated every day that week. He'd go downstairs to find another broken glass on the counter, same spot. Bronte said that one night she was walking in the hallway when she heard footsteps coming from the attic. She was freaked out because everyone was asleep but her. So she just went back into her bedroom, closed the door, and hopped back into bed. Because, you know, that's what we do. She was trying to take her mind off of the footsteps, but then she heard the sound of ice clinking against glass. Like someone had just gotten a late night drinky drink and was going back up to their room. And when she steeled herself enough to listen to the direction of the clinking glass, she felt like she wasn't alone in her room. And then right when she's, you know, unnerved to the max, her fan stopped. She looked over at it and she could see the button being pushed in and then it started again because it was like a stick fan. Bronte was freaked out after that and told her parents about it. She was 11 at the time. And just for clarification, she's Mark's daughter from a previous relationship. Like that was made clear. So I just want to say they had three kids, but she was Rebecca's stepdaughter. Anyway, Bronte kept making a fuss about it, about something going on in her room. And no one really paid her that much mind. You know, it seemed harmless or just her imagination. You know, she's an 11 year old girl. Like she's going to be dramatic, right? But they were like, you know what? Let's get out of town for a couple of days and go on a vacay. And maybe that would help Bronte settle down. So they did. They got one of Mark's students to stay in house sit and animal sit while they were gone because they had a little dog. If anything fucking happens to this dog, Donna. (laughs) No. Her name was Reagan. Well, one night a bad storm came through. And so Rebecca called and asked Reagan to go up to the attic to check and make sure the roof wasn't leaking or anything. I'm like, look, I'm here to house sit, but I am not here to be a maintenance person, okay? But Reagan was like, yeah, anything, you know, addicts creepy. Y'all are my favorite peeps. I'll do it. So then Rebecca's like, hey, if it is leaking, because it sometimes does that when it rains really bad, there's some pots that we have under like the spots that it leaks and just, you know, like make sure that it's leaking into the pots if it is leaking. So Reagan went up there and propped a chair against the attic door to keep it open. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Because every time like on a scary movie, people go into like this small space or this like dark place and they just don't even prop the door open with anything. And then it slams behind them and they're like, <gasps> right. I'm like, you didn't prop it open. Like, what the What'd hell? What'd you expect? Yes. This large metal door. What'd you expect when you didn't <laughs> prop it open? Right. However... That didn't help her. While she was up there checking on the buckets, the dog came up, and soon after he did, the door slammed shut. Now, the dog is a small lap dog, and I don't think he would have been able to move that chair because it was, like, propped under it. Finally, after wiggling the handle and everything, Reagan got the door open. 
But when she opened the door, the chair was moved a little ways from the door. Like the dog didn't do that for sure. Well, when she's going downstairs, you know, she's on high alert here. She thought she saw someone in the study. So she crept closer and there was a woman standing there with her back towards Reagan. Reagan was like, yeah, no one was there but me. But I saw a woman who wasn't there, then immediately was, and then immediately vanished. Like, no, 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 no. So Reagan kept the dog in her arms, ran out to her car in the rain, and went home that night. So, see, she cared about the dog. She was like, you're not staying here in this haunted house either. So she called Rebecca and she told her about the experience and that she would go back over during the day, but, like, I'm not staying the night. Well, this made Rebecca think about her friend Desi seeing someone and even herself when she thought she saw that person in the window that day. So she's like, yeah, this is too much of a coincidence to not be something. So Rebecca decided to pull up the history of the house. Because even though they had heard it was haunted, they really didn't know much about the previous owners or anything. They learned that the Allens were a prominent family in Monticello, which, duh, because they built an almost 9,000 square foot mansion. Well, anyway, Joe Lee Allen was a dad, and he was the president of a bank. So he built the house in 1906 for his family, of course, but also to impress his clients and his fellow citizens to be like, you know, I'm so prominent and I'm so wealthy. Look at this huge house I have. Joe Lee and his wife, Katie, had three daughters, Lonnie, Liddell, and Louie. Liddell popped up a lot with the research that Rebecca was doing. She seemed to endure a lot of heartache in her life. She was married in 1914, then divorced in 1927. Her only child passed away from pneumonia in his 20s. And like I said, just a lot of heartache for Liddell. Well, Liddell herself had a tragic ending. They found a newspaper clipping that said that she had died in the house. But there really wasn't any more information about her death. So Rebecca went all armchair detective and was like, I'm going to order her death certificate to see if we can link what's been going on with Liddell. Now again, they were both skeptics. But Rebecca brought up the subject of maybe having a paranormal investigator come by and check out the house. And at first, Mark scoffed at the idea, but he was like, you know what? Denial is a powerful drug, so let's just do it. They were both wanting the investigators to not find anything, you know, to make sure it was all in their heads. Like, oh, there's plausible explanations for all of this. So soon, Bess Maxwell and her group came to investigate. And Bess even commented, like, a lot of people are so hyped to have something haunted going on in their house. And they were like, yeah, we want you to reassure us it's not haunted. You know, that kind of thing. Well, while they were setting up their equipment, they smelled cigar smoke. And, you know, they like tried to smell the furniture just to see like, oh, is this something that the family does? Like maybe it was just in this one room for some reason. But then it quickly dissipated. Then Bess was doing a countdown for the lights to go out and like them to start their full investigation. Well, when she got to one, the lights went out, but it wasn't by their doing. They heard an awful loud noise outside, and so they went to go check it out. They found a huge tree limb had fell onto a power line, but it wasn't bad weather. The tree wasn't dead or anything, and they were like, uh, something wanted to stop that investigation before it even happened. And Bess was scared because she was like, if it could do that, what else could it do? 
Well, a little bit later, after the power's fixed and all, Rebecca was in her room upstairs when she heard loud footsteps in the attic. And she didn't think ghost. She thought, oh my God, there is a man upstairs in the attic and I'm alone. You know, she said the footsteps were heavy. So she called Mark at work and she was like, you got to get home. Someone is up in the attic. And he's like, it's probably a squirrel. And she's like, it's not a fucking squirrel. Get home and check this out. So he does, and while he's in the attic, Rebecca's downstairs, and she smelled cigar smoke. And when she looked around, she saw a shadow man, like a shadow of a man, on the stairs. He was wearing a cowboy hat, but again, was completely in dark shadow, and then vanished in front of her eyes. Back up in the attic, Mark was experiencing a shadow too. He saw a shadow, but it wasn't his own, and he knows he's the only person up there. And so he kind of looked at where the shadow was and he felt like it was leading him towards the floorboards. And he found something in those floorboards. It was in a brown paper bag and there was a stash of letters hidden there. The letters were addressed to Liddell and sent from Prentice Savage. They were postmarked 1948. So turns out there was more to the story of Liddell Allen. So in 1948, she moved back home to take care of her mom. Well, while she was there, she ran into her high school sweetheart. You guessed it, Prentice Savage. He was in town that March visiting some of his family. He lived in Minnesota now and was married. But that couldn't stop them from rekindling their romance. So when he returned to Minnesota, they wrote each other love letters. They had decided that Prentice would leave his wife and they would run away together and like he was going to be able to come back around Christmas and that would be their holiday together and then they'd leave. They literally never leave their spouses. Well, in October, the letters seemed to shift in tone, you know, because Liddell was pressuring him because he hadn't left his wife yet. You know, that was in March. We had this fabulous week together and now you're writing love letters But it's been basically a year. Yeah, because they got exactly what they wanted. Why would they do anything else? Mm -hmm. You're right there at their beck and call. And they can have literally have their cake and eat it too. But Liddell couldn't take any more heartbreak in her life. So as her mother was throwing her annual Christmas party, Liddell took a glass of punch and a plate of Christmas goodies up to her room. She was found later that night unresponsive. She had poisoned herself with mercury cyanide, which was back then like an over-the-counter cure for syphilis. So the amount that she ingested didn't kill her, but she was rushed to the hospital and she spent a week there in the hospital before she died on January 2nd, 1949. Gosh. And after that day, no one ever went into her room again. Katie sealed it off and no one had been up there until she sold the house like 30 years later. But if you think about what everyone experienced, it seemed like Liddell's spirit was in a loop. You know, the glass clinking going to the room, the broken glass on the counter, because they had said, if you think about like her being nervous, like she knows what she's about to do when she goes up to her room and she like accidentally like breaks a glass, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And then, of course, everyone's seeing a lady. Well, the thing about it is Liddell's room is what Mark and Rebecca's room is now. So they definitely believe Liddell's spirit is there, but as well as her son. 
He had loved spending time in the attic, which was his writing room. But his spirit has been known to whisper names of people, move objects around, and flirt with the females in the mansion. But if you think about it, his favorite place was the attic, and that's where she heard the heavy footsteps and everything. People have smelled cigar smoke like Rebecca and Bess did before. The rocking chairs will rock by themselves. And again, those dang footsteps in the attic are a common occurrence. People have also heard a baby crying. The Spencers also reported seeing doppelganger activity. They would see their five-year-old son, Jacob, in places that he actually wasn't there. And we know people had thought they saw Rebecca and she wasn't there. And even Mark experienced this one time in that bedroom. He was like, no, Rebecca was right there. And then she vanished. Well, the Allen house was on the Ghost Brothers. Oh, love them. Right. So the Spencers told them about the spirits in the place. And they said, you know, not all of them, we believe, are from the Allen family. But we believe that there could be spirits from some of the funerals that were held here. Like there were at least five funerals that they knew of that were held in the dining room. Was it a dining room at the time? Because that seems weird. No, I don't think it was. Jacob told the guys that he had heard his brother Joshua saying his name, but it was like a loud voice like Joshua would be standing right next to him, but no one was there. So he went to go tell Rebecca, his mom, about what happened, and there was Joshua with Rebecca. So it wouldn't have been Joshua. The ghost bros heard all they needed, and so it was time to pop the trunk on those ghosts. If you watch it, you know what we're talking about. It's just what they say when they're about to start the investigation. Yes. Literally pop the trunk and they pop a trunk. <laughs> and I fucking love it. Donna just wants them to pop her trunk. Yes, I do. Well, they were cracking me up because they were reading copies of the letters that Prentice sent to Liddell. And at one point he had mentioned that he had some pictures taken and she could keep the one he enclosed in the letter. Mm, how nice of him. Mm-hmm. And she could send him one too if she would like. And the guys were like, damn, he's asking for pics. Like, nothing's fucking changed. And then they were like, do you think it was a dick pic, though? Then Jawan and Dalen went to the attic, and they did an EVP session where they tried to reach Liddell. Jawan asked her to come sit on the couch with Dalen, and then Dalen jumped off the couch. He said it legit felt like someone sat beside him at the end of the couch. And Dalen refused to go back to that spot again. Later, Dalen and Marcus were in the dining room with the casket because they were using that as a trigger object. And they had the REM pod and they were trying to make contact with the spirit. Well, the REM pod responded when they asked if it was Mr. Allen there. And it didn't respond when they asked if Liddell was there. Also, Marcus asked if Mr. Allen would like a cigar, and it responded. And so, you know, they're flipping out. Well, this is the episode that they all went on a date with Liddell. Because they were like, okay, if she's going to come through, she ain't going to come through for three guys all in a room, like being like, come through, come through. So let's go one-on-one with her. And Jawan made me want to date him even more than I already wanted to. Okay, like he was just, he's very smooth. Later in the investigation, you know, after their dates, Marcus and Jawan had left some doors open in the kitchen and they had put like a camera down and they went, you know, to investigate some other areas. Well, they heard a sound. So they went back and the door was closed to this like half bath or bathroom. And, you know, they tried to see if like, Wind could just shut it or, you know, whatever, but they couldn't get it to shut on its own again. 
So they ruled like, yes, this house is haunted. Well, before that, the ghost hunters had also investigated this house, like the classic ghost hunters. They all experienced something. They saw shadows. They heard phantom footsteps. While they were doing an EVP session, Amy captured what sounded like a typewriter, which is what Liddell used to write the letters to Prentice, and also what Liddell's son used when he was writing up there in the attic. Then Britt saw the door to the attic open and close by itself, which is the door that shut on Desi also. And then Steve and Jason were in the dining room where some of the letters are displayed. And while Steve was reading them aloud, they captured an EVP that sounded like someone saying, please stop. And to me, that was like, stop reading my letters. Like, give me my privacy, Mm -hmm. you know, just because also that's very, very intimate. Yes. I mean, like I said, text, like you're going to, your text is going to be read on the stand. Mm -hmm. I.e. Jodi Arias, weird second time she's come up today. Yes. Well, they both witnessed a shadow figure darting around the corner. Like I said, everyone saw a shadow at some point. You know, it was just a lot. So they too ruled that they couldn't say that that was a Liddell haunting, but it was a haunted house. And it's thought to be one of the most haunted locations in Arkansas. And so that is the Allen house. Well, you know, I'm usually a skeptic. Yes. But if the ghost bros say it's haunted, <laughs> who am I to deny Jawan anything? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, Colby. <laughs> he they would are, understand. Yeah, they are very handsome men. They are. And they're just so nice. Like, mm-hmm. they seem so genuine. Yes, they do. Like, especially um, Dalen. Like, I feel like he's really got the knowledge behind it. But, like, mm-hmm. they just seem like such good friends that they just have so much fun, but in, like, a respectful way. Yeah. Which is, like, a re- I don't know. I just really enjoy them. Yes. So, it's entertaining, but it's also, like, if you like paranormal things, it's also entertaining that way, too. Yeah. I will say, like, also, you know how... I think Colby's dad loves to go with his metal detector. I don't know what you call it. Mm-mm. Oh, well, I thought he did. And that's why he got you and Colby one. I don't think so. But we do have one. Never used it, but we do have one. Oh, well, okay. Well, they got you that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I really thought that's because he liked doing it. But anyway, Mark and his sons liked doing it. And they were doing it out in the yard. And they found like a lot of trinkets, like some lipstick, um, like old vintage kind of stuff out in the yard and uh it was by some rose bushes i think and that was like her love like liddell loved to garden and those were her bushes and again they came up with a story after reading everything that she was so distraught like the things he had bought her she like buried underneath yeah there man fuck that fuck boy prentice right and you know like i'm not throwing any like real shade at john but we know he was a fuck boy one thousand percent you know, like he did lose his wife and that is a serious trauma. And I mean, he found her everything, just the right. whole trauma of like losing a spouse. They'd only been married like three months when it happened. I'm definitely not trying to take away from that. Right. But if you had an ounce of suspicion that someone killed your spouse, even enough suspicion that you called the detective to be like, hey, you you think this person really did this? Like, is there any evidence? Because like, you know, I'm gonna go on vacation. Right. Like, what are you fucking kidding me? Right. Also, I don't understand how he didn't say, you know, 
my ex has come by, you know, like that would be something that tipped me off. So mm-hmm. I feel like he knew she should have been a suspect. Right. He knew something was shady. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't want to say he didn't care because we don't know and whatever, but like, I don't know. And everybody handles trauma different and all of that, you know, so I don't know to be like, so then you wanted to go have sex with her, you know, like, I don't know. How is that not the last thing on your mind? But sometimes death brings that out in people, you know? Right. But the thing is, is that it seemed like she made their life a living hell sometimes. Yes. You know, so I feel like I wouldn't be like, you know what? I want to go have sex with her and not think that, huh, did she have anything to do with this? Or, you know what I mean? But I'm also suspicious of everyone. But, you know, it's just so interesting how things change in the crime scene world because, you know, Stephanie did everything to keep herself from being guilty. The way she staged it, no fingerprints, none of that. And yet DNA came along and she had no idea because it was 1986. Yeah. And it just makes me wonder, what's the next thing? Like right now we've got the familial DNA Mm -hmm. where we're able to link people through their family trees and all these different databases that collect our DNA for like ancestral things. We're finding killers now. Mm -hmm. But like, what's the next thing? Like what it like, is there something like DNA we haven't discovered yet? Yeah. And just, I mean, the amount of advances that we've made. Think about the people who got convicted because they were like a excreter or non-excreter. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, I mean, it's a thing, but it's like, it's not a thing that would be conclusive enough. Or like, well, they did have the same blood type. Yeah. Well, so does a third of the population. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's like, are we ever going to look back at DNA and go, so does, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, just like from DNA then to now like touch DNA and all of that mm-hmm. it's just like getting so much more like detailed you know even watching like forensic files and stuff I'm like I don't understand the process from A to B Mm-mm. like how do you get a swab and then break it like I like I my brain cannot compute no I get what you're doing but I don't get it right because it's like who created the things to even see those things to know that you're looking at you know what I mean yes people be so smart Yes. I can't even say the sentence correctly. I'm so not smart. I said people be smart. They do be smart, though. I was going to say it do be like that sometimes. Well, thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things, and remember. Creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.